Hey guys, Aaron here, and on today's episode of The Aaron White Show, I interview Sean Weir, the owner of The Shaka Project. We talk suicide attempts. We talk heaps of different stuff. We talk how The Shaka Project came about. Yeah, basically, it's just an awesome show. All right, check it out. Have a great day. All right, that's recording. Quick word from the sponsors. FIFO by Aaron Weston, what really happens after pain takes off. A, a hilarious novel about all the dodgy stuff that happens in the FIFO industry. And then you've got FIFO 2, how a drug dealer became a, became a FIFO worker. Both funny as, both available at Aaron Weston Author on Instagram or The Aaron White Show on TikTok and Instagram. And also Aaron Weston Author on Facebook. For the kids under Children's Books by Aaron White on Facebook, we have Australian Mining Machines, Australian Surf Lifesavers, Australian Defence Force Machines, Australian Paramedics, Australian Firefighters, Australian Police Vehicles, Mining Machines, Colouring Inbook, all available on Facebook under Children's Books by Aaron White. All right, if you guys are watching this on YouTube and like what you're seeing, feel free to like and subscribe. And yeah, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aaron White Show. Today, I have a fantastic guest, Sean Weir. Sean is the owner of Shaka Project. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. Ah, sweet as. Hey, today, can you just please tell me your story, like how and where you grew up, any life-changing events, and how you end up doing what you're doing today? Yeah, so uh, I'm from Ballarat in, uh, in Victoria. Um, born and bred here. We're about an hour and a half away from, uh, from Melbourne. So um, just west of Melbourne, pretty much the, uh, the coldest place in Australia. Um, it's, it's meant to be leading into summer at the moment and it's about six degrees outside. It's absolutely freezing. So nothing like, uh, what you guys have over in WA, but, um, I've, uh, I've lived here my entire life and my background, uh, is a gym owner, personal trainer. Um, I've, uh, I've been a personal trainer for about 12 years now and, um, and, uh, run my own businesses and open gyms and, uh, opened the, uh, started the Shaka project back in 2019, just after, about five or six years of my mental health battle and um, that sort of came from uh, from a, a few years of drug addiction and alcoholism and um, it all sort of started throughout high school when I was uh, a young kid and growing up around uh, around the wrong group of people um, I sort of experienced different things that uh, you know teenagers probably wouldn't experience in their uh, normal upbringing so I was uh, you know, heavily involved with with uh, you know a lot of crimes and um, a lot of things that uh, you know sort of make people uh, sort of uh, probably susceptible to, to different things and and triggered by different um, sort of lifestyle traits and lifestyle uh, choices and stuff like that that people make and I uh, got myself into a fair bit of trouble when it comes to uh, the law and drugs and and um, therefore that sort of led on to onto my addiction so. My addiction started when I was about 17 um, and uh, I stayed in high school throughout the whole time and was was pretty committed to, you know, getting my year 12 completed. Uh, it was something that I promised my mum that I would do. So I uh, made sure I committed to that. And um, I was lucky enough to go to a pretty school, good school and I was surrounded by some uh, some incredible family members that got me through that, uh, that time throughout school. Um, when I left school, I, um, I became a personal trainer, so I got into, uh, into fitness and pretty much at the age of 18, I, uh, I started my personal training business 
And uh, that was a pretty scary time for me because it was, you know, all of my mates were working full time or had an apprenticeship, um, doing FIFO, whatever they might have been. And uh, I was pretty much starting a business from scratch um, with absolutely no, uh, you know, no business experience or history or anything like that too. So pretty much threw myself in the deep end um, and it, uh, it started off pretty slow as, uh, as most businesses do. And I was still going through, um, you know, mental health battles in that time. And I, uh, I'd, I'd been on medication pretty much since the age of 16. Um, and probably the worst thing about, uh, you know, the ages of 18 to 22 was I was a, uh, I was a PT and a you know, health fitness professional five days a week. Um, and I was a drug addict about two days a week. So from about five o'clock on a Friday afternoon um, until Sunday, I was I was a complete drug addict and um, addicted to alcohol and partying and, uh, you know, generally just getting up to no good. And I sort of got to the point where I knew that something was going to have to give in my life. And um, I was going to have either, you know, make that choice or it was going to make it for me. So... Unfortunately, it got to the point where it made it for me, um, and uh, I was I was out in Ballarat on my twenty second birthday, and um, I uh, got in a few fights, and testosterone was running high, and I was uh, I was high on drugs, and ended up getting locked up um, and arrested that night, and that was pretty much the downfall of my uh, of my business that I built up over, over the two years beforehand. Um, the city where I am, Ballarat, it's a pretty big city now, but um, it's a really small town, so everybody knows everybody. Um, and you know, word got around pretty quick that I was, you know, Sean Weir, this personal trainer, who's uh, high on drugs, fighting people, fighting cops, um, and he got arrested. So safe to say, I um, I lost a lot of business, lost a good reputation that I built up over the few years before that, and um, that sort of sent me down the uh, spiral of, of mental health. Um, and it was probably a good. 48 months after that instance where, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. And um, my business went from, you know, earning pretty good money and pretty, you know, being pretty successful to, uh, you know, pretty much having to start again and trying to rebuild my brand and my name and, and my reputation from scratch. So that was, um, that was a really tough time for me. And it got to the point where I was, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in psychiatric hospitals and, and seeking you know, professional help and, um, a lot of moments where I, um, you know, suicide was um, something that I competed with on a daily basis. And there's, you know, a lot of different instances that, um, that you know, come to mind when it comes to, uh, you know, the, these moments in my life where I, you know, consider taking my own life. And it's, um, it's something that I still think about this, you know, to this day that, uh, helps me reflect back on what I've been able to build up with the Chaka project now, and it's it's a really good motivator. Um, and I suppose it's it's half the reason that we uh, we started the Chaka project in 2019, so that we can continue to talk about suicide and talk about um, suicide awareness and mental health, and especially men's mental health as well. So um, throughout uh, throughout that period, I was I was able to rebuild my business, my personal training business and um, successfully opened my own gym in, uh, in 2015. And uh, that was a really big, uh, big moment for me. I was able to uh, successfully rebrand myself. And uh, thankfully that night that, um, that sort of destroyed my business was all but forgotten about. 
um, by uh, by everyone in Ballarat, and I was able to to really um, make a good run of, of being a personal trainer again and being a business owner again. And uh, a few years down the track, I was able to um, expand that business to, to open up a few other gyms, and um, that's my real passion is to uh, you know to to start businesses and to um to do personal training and and uh, you know health and fitness industry is a massive part of my life, but. Back in uh, back in 2018, I was um, blessed with the, the birth of my daughter, and um, that taught me a lot about life when it comes to being, uh, you know, grateful of what you've gone through. And um, I was very grateful that I was able to be there for the birth of my daughter when I didn't think I was uh, I was going to you know, make it past the age of 25, um, and that really motivated me to. Uh, start something to do with mental health, which uh, obviously brings us to the Shaka Project. So um, a big motivator for the Shaka Project was obviously all that, but it was, um, we, we used to do a lot of different um, different events through the gyms uh, where we would try and raise money and awareness for, the, for mental health and for different organisations. Um, and we did one event a few years ago before the Shaka Project and we raised about 10,000 bucks um, for this organisation, and it was a um, it was a really big event. It was a twenty four hour event, um, and we sent this money off to this really big organisation in Australia. Um, I won't name who they are, but we pretty much just got a really generic email back from them, um, and it was just like a thanks for your donation. And that didn't really sit well with me. Um, you know, a lot of people would put their time, money, effort, um, their emotions into this event. Um, we raised heaps and heaps of money and um, it was a really uh, significantly emotional event for myself and for, for everyone else around me. And uh, it was just a really generic email that we got back. And I just thought that there's, there's, there's got to be something that we can do more, that we can have a personal impact on people's mental health and people's um, recovery, people's uh, conversations. So that was a, um, a big drive for me to start the Shaka Project. And, and the reason that we... Um, that we chose merchandise, you know, t-shirts, hoodies, singlets, um, beanies, whatever it might be. Um, the reason we chose that to, to you know, really kickstart our brand is we wanted to be able to uh, see the proof that people want to talk about mental health. So if we can, uh, we can put somebody in a pub with a t-shirt with a shaka on it, uh, and someone else can automatically go up to that person and know that they have some sort of understanding and empathy for mental health. Um, then that can start a conversation. And that's the hard thing about you know, men's mental health, especially starting that conversation. So if we can literally put a, a conversation starter on someone's T-shirt or on a, uh, on a hat, on a, on a jumper, um, that, that, that's, going to, uh, that's going to ignite that conversation straight off the bat without necessarily using words. Um, and that's exactly what we want to do with the Shaka Project. So that's where we started. Um, that was back in 2019. Started the project thinking that it was going to be something really good for the, the city I live in here in Ballarat. And um, I've been, uh, you know, extremely um, blown away by the amount of people that we've been able to reach. And we've, uh, we've now been able to establish ourselves as a, as a national brand and international brand as well. Um, and reach, you know, thousands and thousands of people all across Australia, um, across New Zealand, across the United States, Europe. Um, all over with people that just want to want to talk about mental health and want to talk about igniting that conversation. So, um, what I thought was going to be a reasonably small project has now taken over my life. Um, 
and taken over the life of, of the people around me as well. So it's, I'm not complaining. It's been absolutely incredible. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a, a wild ride and um, we've got a lot of different things we want to do in the future. But if, if we can just continue to, con, you know, ignite this conversation and get more men talking about their mental health, um, then I think we can we can really make a change with the, the, the statistics throughout Australia, uh, throughout New Zealand, throughout the world about um, about men's mental health and, and suicide awareness. You just said that you want to do heaps of different stuff in the future. Do you want, can you drop what you want to do? Yeah, so we did, um, at the start of the year, we've done a lot of events. Um, so we did like a New South Wales tour. So we drove around New South Wales, different um went to different organisations uh, and did a lot of presentations on mental health and, and um, workshops and stuff like that too. So obviously with, uh, with the pandemic, travelling throughout this year has been pretty tough. Um, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, going into next year, we'll be able to do it a fair bit more. So that's our, uh, that's our plan for, for 2022, is to be able to go across Australia um, and do different workshops um, and meet as many people as we can get the shaka on as many, you know, utes and and uh, and people as we possibly can as well. So um, just expand that message uh, throughout Australia, get more men talking, get more men comfortable with, with seeking help. What made you decide on the shaka as your logo as opposed to something else? Yeah, so this is probably a cool story about the uh, the entire project. So my, um, my eight-year-old son, he... Uh, him and I were at a uh, playground just before I started the Shaka project, and um, he was uh, he was on the playground and he pretty much he came down the, the slide really quick. Uh, I don't think he expected how fast he was going to come down, and um, as he came down, he sort of flipped off the slide and and pretty much ate dirt. And I was standing probably about thirty or forty meters away and. Um, you know, as a parent, sometimes you sort of consider if you have to go over and check if they're okay. Um, it's a pretty lazy parenting, but uh, I sort of stood there and, and considered it. And uh, he stood up and looked over to me and he threw up a shaka um, and I threw up a shaka back. And it was almost like he, he you know, acknowledged that he was okay. And then he continued playing. And it was a really cool way that we communicated without necessarily using words. Um, and that's the exact, uh, you know, the exact thing we want to do with the Shaka project is open the line of communication between two guys um, without necessarily using words because, you know, at the end of the day, that's the hardest thing to do um, for males is to, uh, is to start that conversation. So if we can do it through a Shaka, um, if we can do it, do it through a hand gesture, then, uh, then that's, the, um, that's the best way we can do it. So it's a really cool story. He, um, he, loves the, uh, he loves the fact that he started it. <laughs> Um, he, he wants all the royalties. He wants all the uh, the trademark, but um, it's a really cool way just to just to start that conversation. Oh, that's a pretty cool story. So when you donated that ten grand to that organisation and they sent back that generic email, did you do you feel that like that they were that transparent where that ten grand was going as well? You kind of just felt like you were giving them ten grand and might have just been chewed up at admin fees for all you know. Yeah, well, we just we just didn't have much of an indication of um, where it's going to go, and, and a lot of organisations are the same. And and this organisation does some incredible work. I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not putting them down in in any means. Um, they do some amazing work for Australia, but um, you know they they will get thousands and thousands of dollars worth of donations every single day. Um, so I, I, I didn't expect you know a personal email. I didn't expect. Um, 
a breakdown of what they're going to do with it. Um, but it just sort of left me uh, a little bit sour because I knew how much emotion was put into this event from everybody around us. So I thought if there's a way that we can personally see what we can do with money and we can do with the events and education, um, we can see more of an effect um, of what we can do, then that's going to leave me, um, you know, more comfortable with, with what we can do. Um, it ha my personal goals as well, you know, I'll, I want my kids to be able to go to school and be able to talk about mental health. Um, you know, when I went to school, it wasn't a subject we spoke about. So um, I personally want my kids to be able to go to school and, and be comfortable talking to, to their teachers or to their friends about mental health. So that was a massive personal drive for me as well. Because I know you have a big online presence. Have people reached out to you basically saying, I'm going to commit suicide, can I have a chat? And then that conversation that you've had or one of your, I don't know if you've got a team or it's just you, one of you guys have spoke to them and like kind of talked them off the ledge, so to speak? Yeah, look, there has been some really, um, some really full-on conversations that we've had from, from many people. Um, and, you know, there, there does come to a point where uh, we have to take a duty of care. and We've got some policies in place where, um, you know, if somebody reaches out to us, we straight away contact, we, we get in contact with their family or their friends. Um, or if we need to, we get in contact with, uh, you know, emergency services. But the first thing we do is, um, you know, refer them on to Lifeline um, or the, uh, you know, the suicide callback number. Um, whatever it might be, they can contact that professional help. You know, we're, we're not qualified psychologists or psychiatrists um, or counsellors or anything like that too. So we, uh, we definitely do refer straight on to um, onto emergency services and crisis services. But most of the time, um, we just get people that want to talk. You know, we, we get people that want to um, have somebody to, to vent to or to, um, to validate their feelings. Um, and you know, 99% of the messages that we get is just messages of, of complete support of, um, of what we're doing. And, and, you know, we, we get regular messages of people that, uh, just love the content that we post and, and, um, how relatable it is to their life and what they're going through. Um, and you know, if, if they're having a bad day, they can jump on our page and, and see one of their quotes or see one of their messages. Um, and just feel a little bit better about what, what they're going through and a little bit less alone. So um, if we can do that and make somebody feel just a little bit less alone through through what they're going through, then um, then we're, you know, we're, we're pretty happy on this end. That's pretty sweet. Do you feel as a personal trainer, people come to personal training, not just to work out their body, but also have a chat, have some sort of like um, human interaction, if that's the right way of saying it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think since day one, um, even before I started the Shekel Project, um, and you know, a lot of PTs will know that you're a personal trainer and you're a uh, you're a counsellor as well. Um, you know, a lot of people go to the gym and go to the personal trainers for their for their mental health outlet. Um, and you know, I've had uh, I've had clients break down to me before. I've had clients tell me um, things that you know their husbands or partners or wives you know, don't know about them because it's just such a personal thing and they feel like they can open up to myself or, or their other trainers, whoever it might be. Um, but it's a, it is, it's a mental health break going to the gym and doing fitness and health and fitness is something that people go to make themselves feel better when they're going through a rough time. So yeah, absolutely. That was a, um, that's probably been a blessing for me because I had that, you know, I was a personal trainer for six years before I even started the Shaka project. So I was able to, 
um, I was able to go through those stages of, of talking to people and, and listening to people. Um, so that's probably something that's helped me when I've, uh, when I've had to go through those moments with the Shaka project is I've had that experience before. Oh, pretty sweet. Hey, I just want to j- jump back some years because I feel this would be interesting for the audience. That psychiatric hospital that you went to and stuff, how, how did that come? I know you were like suicidal and stuff like that you were saying, but how did you go from, you know, having these thoughts in your head to actually getting into the hospital? Did you check yourself in and how did you get out? What's, what's the go with that one? Yeah, so I, yeah, I definitely did check myself in. So there was a, um, there was a moment where um, there was, when I was in my crisis stage and, and we, we talk about crisis stage a lot um where there's 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 times where we're suffering and we're going through mental health stages and then there's a crisis stage and this is a really dangerous stage that people can be in um and this is a stage that i was in for uh, for quite a while and basically it's, it's a time where um your your mind goes to suicide and it goes to self-harm and it pretty much stays there and you get to a point where that's all we can think about but you get to a point where you're thinking about that with um a sense of comfortability and it's really scary so you know there, there was times where i would go to um you know i'd go to the city i'd go to a hotel um and it's normally when you go to a hotel the first thing you think of is i'll go check out the view see how big the bathroom is um you know have i got have i got a beer in the fridge all that sort of stuff that's the first thing you normally check um but the first thing i did was uh you know check out how up i was and, and and think about you know this would be a good place to do it and it was a really really comfortable feeling um, it was a normal feeling. It was just the first thing I did. And um, that's when I realized that I was in this crisis stage. Um, I was, uh, there, there was one moment in my life where I was, uh, you know, driving my car and I was out in the, uh, out in the bush just out, outside of Ballarat here. And um, I was pulled over to the side of the road and I had, um, I'd sort of made the decision. I thought, this is, this is what I wanted to do. This is, uh, this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I want to take my life. And um, I, uh, I stopped on the side of the road and, and pretty much lined up my car with a tree that was about 50 metres away and um, put the foot, you know, down to the pedal and, and accelerated. And um, I, this, this massive sense of calm came over me. Um, I was extremely comfortable with, with everything I was doing. And, you know, in hindsight, now you look back at that and think how frightening that is. But um, I was massively comfortable with where I was and what I was doing with my life. And I uh, put the pedal down and uh, went straight to this tree, closed my eyes. And, and what seemed like, you know, uh, five minutes was, was only about 10, 15 seconds. And um, the next thing I sort of remember, I, I, I woke up. Or I opened my eyes and I was in bushes and shrubbery and all I could see was trees around me. And um, I got out of my car really quickly and was, you know, in this sort of shock, shock state. And um, the first thing I did, this is probably the funniest thing of a really horrendous story, is I, I checked to see if my car was scratched. Um, <laughs> now I was about to total my car. And the first thing I did was, was make sure I wasn't scratched. But I, um, I eventually got out and sort of, you know, calmed myself down and, and, and uh, I, I checked around where I was driving and I noticed that I, um, I pretty much driven into this ditch and this ditch had flung me out of the way of this, this massive tree. Um, and that was a big wake up call me that there's clearly something else I've got to do with my life. And this isn't where I'm meant to be. Um, and I pretty much drove home from there and, uh, got my mum to take me straight to hospital, take straight to, uh, ER. 
Um, and they put me in the, uh, in the ward for about two days. Um, and that was really, really beneficial for me. Um, it was obviously extremely scary, but it was really beneficial for me just to get away from the world for a few days. Um, I got out for about a day and a half, then I went back in. Um, and it was sort of on and off for, you know, probably about two to three weeks. Um, so, yeah, it was all, it was complete self-admission. Um, and it was something that uh, was really important for me to do um, for my own mental health, but for the people around me as well. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't look back on in shame or, or regret about that. I think it was something that definitely saved my life. So yeah, that's, that's how I, um, that's how I ended up there. And it's, it's, it's probably something that I look back on and, um, and, you know, I'm grateful for that I, that I was able to do. What are they doing there to help you? Do they drug you up or do they just do counseling or just what's the go there? It's yeah. It's all um. It's all very personal. Depending on why you're why you're there, um, what has happened. You know, if if you have self harm, um, you could be medicated. You could be um. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a very very wide variety depending on the situation you're in. But um, I was medicated. I wasn't heavily medicated, but I was medicated. Um, and you know, I was uh, I was visited by a lot of different professionals and and um, psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists. Um, but it is, yeah, I, I couldn't say what they're going to do if if someone wanted to walk in there today. It's going to be a completely different experience to uh, to what I experienced. So it's um it's definitely uh, very very personal with uh, what the actual um, you know what the subject is and, and what the person's going through. What medication did they give to you? Do you, do you remember? Uh, it, it, I was already on antidepressants um, and it was, it was more about balancing where I was. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of antipsychotic medications. Um, and, you know, obviously, depending on the situation, again, I was in this crisis stage. So there was one thing in my mind and that was self-harm. Um, so there was a lot of medication where it was just calming myself down and, um, you know, getting, getting some, some solid sleep and some, um, you know, rest and, and, and trying to bring sort of that anxiety down that I was, that I was in and that state that I was in. So uh, there was, you know, many, many different medications and, um I suppose uh, processes that we went through. Um, you know, even I remember sitting on the on the end of the bed with with one of the doctors, and he literally just said, "Count to 100 for me." And I count to 100. He said, "Right, do it again." I did it about four or five times, um, and every single time I got slower and slower and slower. Um, and he, you know, did my heart rate at the start. My heart rate was through the roof, and then I did it at the end. And my heart rate had calmed down because I'd slowed everything down and. Um, and you know, slow down my counting process, which which slowed down my anxiety for, for everything too. So there was a lot of different processes that went through. And you could check yourself out whenever you wanted, or when you sign in, you kind of locked in for a couple of days. Yeah, uh, uh, not you couldn't really sort of get up and, and leave. It was more a um, you know they they were definitely um, it wasn't sort of like a rehab or anything. So you weren't in there for a, a, a minimum amount of time. Um, but it was it was most definitely the doctors had to had to clear you to say you can go home to a to safe home to a safe environment. Um, I'm not too sure what it's like these days. You know, this was nine years ago, uh, eight years ago. Um, so processes may have changed, but I know that back then it was very much 
um, you know, let's, let's see where you're at. A lot of counselling, a lot of, um, you know, making sure that where I was going to go after the, after the hospital was a safe environment for myself and for everybody else around me. Um, but yeah, he definitely couldn't, he couldn't get up and, uh, get up and leave. And I think a really big stigma, you know, psychiatric hospitals are, you're not, you know, you're not wrapped up in, in those things like you see in the movies. Um, you're not, uh, you're not drugged up to the eyeballs. You're not walking around, you know, not knowing where you are. Um, it's basically like hospital. You, you're in a hospital bed. Um, you get fed three times a day. You're not strapped into your bed or anything like that. Um, it's just a, uh, it's just a place where you can go and, and get a couple of days, um, of, of, uh, pretty helpful medical advice and, and, um, and, uh, you know, give yourself a bit of a, a rest from the world. And that's just part of the, cause you say you went to the ER, so that's just part of the normal hospital, is it? Is it just a certain little ward part of the hospital? Yeah, yeah. So I, I just went straight to the emergency room and and um and told them that I was having you know these suicidal thoughts and um it's it's pretty much a welfare thing. So they'll get you straight into um see you know outpatients um, mental health and a lot of the different hospitals will have uh, these different mental health units and it could be completely different um in whether it be regional or or um or in metro, but majority of the time they're going to put you straight into um, a mental health outpatients unit. And it could be that you stay there for an hour. It could be that you stay there for a week or two weeks. So um, again, it's just very, very dependent on the situation, whether you're affected by drugs or alcohol um, or addiction or any sort of type, um, whether there's, there might be, um, you know, there might be abuse involved, there might be something else involved. So it's very dependent on the situation you're in. When you drove towards that tree, I know you said that you had like this calm about you, but did like your life flash before your eyes or anything like that, or that didn't happen? No, not really. I think it was, um, it was a really, really overwhelming sense of calm um, that I'd finally done something that I was, uh, that I was okay with. And, you know, a lot of the time where you're going through this crisis stage, you're questioning everything you do. Um, so it was, it was an overwhelming sense of calm to the point where, I knew that it was wrong. I knew that it was it was the wrong thing I needed to do, that I needed to go and do alternative things like seeking help. But I also knew that this was what was going to uh, be the thing that took everything else away, took all the anxiety and the pain and the, and the hurt away from what I was going through. So um, it's, it's a really, it's a feeling that uh, it's probably really, really hard to describe and, and hard to, um, relive as well. I don't think you relive it unless you're in that crisis stage. Um, and thankfully, I've you know, I've I've only ever been in that crisis stage maybe four times in my life, um, and that was one of them. And um, you know, I know when I get back in that crisis stage, and I know what I need to do when I'm in that stage as well. Um, and that's half the reason we do so much work with Shaka Project is so that we can we can target people that are in that stage, um, in that crisis stage, and we can target people that may feel like that, that they're alone, they have no one to speak to, or they can't go seek help. Um, we want to be able to reach those people in that stage um, and show them that there is help out there. Um, there is people that they can contact and that they can talk, especially if they're a male. Um, they can talk about their feelings and what they're going through and that their feelings are valid as well. Do you still get suicidal thoughts and stuff now? Or you're pretty alright with it. Mental health is a uh, is most definitely a, a lifelong thing. You know, that I'm, I'm definitely not cured. Um, 
I, uh, I've actually only recently gone back on, on uh, antidepressants in the last month. Um, and that was something that was a really big, big thing for me. And something that we, uh, we, we try and promote a lot with the Tracker Project is, you know, we're, we're two blokes that run the Tracker Project and um, we're not mental health warriors. We haven't found the secret, uh, you know, the secret um, pill or the secret code or anything like that to cure mental health. We haven't, uh, we haven't found, um, you know, everything that, that, that's going to make everything okay again. We go through days that, um, you know, that really suck for us. We have days that we don't want to do anything, that we don't want to get out of bed. We have really, really shitty days. So, um, yeah, no, mental health is, is going to be with me for the rest of my life. And, I've, I've, you know, I'm completely okay with that. I'm medicated again. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, again, something that today I'm having a really good day today. I'm feeling really good. Um, but I know that last week I had a really bad week. Um, you know, two weeks ago I had a day where I was in back in crisis stage, um, and that's why I medicated it again now. Um, and that was you know, only two, two or three weeks ago. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely days where I get to that um, crisis stage. It takes, uh, it's not something I take lightly. Obviously, um, I don't. Uh, you know, if I'm having a, a bad day, I know I'm having a bad day. Um, and there's, there, there is a big difference between having that bad day and, and going through some poor mental health and being in that crisis stage. Um, and that crisis stage is something that I, I was in a few weeks ago. Um, and then I previously hadn't been in for, for about 12 months. Um, but yeah, I definitely do have those bad days and those bad weeks and bad thoughts and, and all that sort of stuff for sure. What a, so to get your antidepressants, you just go to go see your doctor, he prescribes it. And what does it actually do? Does 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 it numb you? Like make you a bit more of like a zombie mode, or how how does they how do they work for you? I don't know. So yeah, so um, the the best way to get on medication is to go see a GP, um, get a mental health plan, and uh, and they'll pretty much recommend um, what you need to do. Whether it is going to to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, and uh, establishing some sort of plan that you can do with your mental health, which is really, uh, which is really effective. And they'll write you a, uh, a script for antidepressants, or it might be anti uh, anti anxiety medication, whatever it might be, depending on your situation. And um, basically, what what they do, a lot of mental health is just a uh, chemical imbalance in the brain. Um, that's that's essentially what uh, what depression and anxiety and a lot of other different um, different sort of mental health issues uh, come back to and relate back to. So uh, your antidepressants will literally um, try and rebalance those those, uh, those chemicals and you know the chemicals that we lose when we um, when we are going through depressive states. Um, the antidepressants will try and balance that back up. So it can be really hard. It can be really hard to go on. Uh, like antidepressants the first you know two weeks are really really tough you might go through waves of emotions um you might feel worse and than you did when you before you were on those antidepressants um you know a lot of and um and that uh, it's it's not like you're going to some sort of zombie state um you do definitely notice it uh, you know, I've only been back on for three weeks and I'm actually feeling extremely, you know, extremely good. My anxiety is, um, you know, a lot less than what it was three weeks ago. Um, and it, it, again, it doesn't cure you. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make every day good, but it does allow your body and your brain to 
um, to you know have some sort of calmness when it comes to these really really um, anxiety-filled moments in your life, and uh, it, it makes everything just a little bit more uh, clear and gives you a bit more clarity when it comes to thinking about these moments in your life. Oh, pretty sweet. Uh, we've almost had a, had our time. Um, anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh, look, just yeah. If uh, if you if you're on Instagram or, or Facebook, then um, then check out our, our content on the Tracker Project. We're really uh, we're really trying to you know get to as many people as we possibly can out there, um, and get as many men and, and women and all genders to understand that it's okay to speak up and and, and talk about mental health. And uh, we want to try and you know get those numbers down, get the suicide um, numbers down across Australia, across the world. Um, mental health is going to be with all of us for, for the rest of our lives. So if we can uh, we can sort of start to attack it head on um, and save people, then, then we're happy and we, we just want to continue to do that. And have you got a podcast yourself? Yeah, absolutely. It's called the All Good Bro Podcast. Um, so yeah, jump on there. We've got a, we've got some incredible guests that have come on and talked about their their story. Um, we've had some amazing stories of uh, adversity and people that have gone through mental health and different different sort of conditions and uh, and have survived and uh, are, are here to tell their story. So definitely jump on and, and give that a listen for sure. Is that on YouTube or just audio like Spotify and stuff? Yeah, all on Spotify. If you go onto uh, onto the shackerproject.com, um, you can see all their merchandise. You can see our podcast or our Instagram. Um, that's how you can contact us, all the crisis resources as well. So Lifeline, um, Beyond Blue, all those different organisations, you can contact through our website. Oh, you're a legend. That was an awesome interview. I just want to say big thanks for coming on. Did you enjoy your time? Loved it. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Well, yeah, that's a wrap. I'd like to thank Sean again for coming on the show. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening. Please tell a friend about the podcast and have a fantastic day. All right, bye.